that you treat other people? Or is it because God does exist that your life is radically changed in those areas and many, many others? Has not this been the driving force within the book of James? That he wants to take the rubber of our faith and place it square on the road. Like James doesn't just want you to say that you believe something. Remember back a couple chapters ago where he says, the demons believe, right? The demons even believe. They, they profess the same God that we do, but they shudder. Like in their practical life, there's at least that shuddering that happens. But for us, when we say that we believe God is one, we do well. But does it impact or change the way that you live? In the context of the entire book of James that we've seen up to this point, he wants us to respond with our God in mind and not respond like a practical theist when we encounter trials of various kinds, all the way back in chapter 1. Or respond with our God in mind and not respond like a practical atheist when we struggle with other people in the church and we are tempted to be partial over some Christians more than others, back in chapter 2. Or respond with our God in mind and not respond like a practical atheist when we are tempted to use our tongues in a way that hurt other people instead of blessing other people in chapter 3. And on and on. Brothers and sisters, when you analyze your life, does the fact that you claim to believe in God change anything in your life that much? You still say what you want to say. You do what you want to do without without taking God's will into account as it's revealed specifically within the Bible. The Bible says that a fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Yet how much more foolish do you have to be to say in your heart that there is a God and for it to have absolutely no impact in the way that you live? This morning I want to look at James chapter 4, 13 to 17 at practical atheism and the Christian. And I want to begin where James begins by looking at the presumptions of a practical atheist. What kind of assumptions, presumptions, or predictions does a practical atheist make in regard to his own life? Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So how do you know if you are a practical atheist? And just this little statement that James gives us here in verse 13, there are at least five presumptions that a practical atheist makes. The first one is that they presume when they will go do business. He says today or tomorrow. They presume where they will go do business to such and such a town. The third thing is they presume how long they will remain to do business a year. The fourth thing is they presume what they will do business-wise, and that's trade. The fifth thing is they presume what the outcome of their business dealing is going to be, and that is to make a profit. Now, there's little doubt that James has in mind here that the merchants or the traders of the day, the men and women of the day who are involved with business, but the application absolutely goes to all of us here, whether or not we are in business for ourselves. And surely you have to be thinking as you kind of go through those five things that a businessman or woman is presuming that James is calling out, you have to kind of say, well, wait a second. Isn't that just good business sense? Like, isn't that just what you do? You, you, you need to speculate. You need to look a, a year out. You, you need to wonder what you're going to do when you go to the certain place and all of that. Isn't this just really good business sense? 
Isn't it a good thing to plan when and where you're going to do business? How long you're going to be there? And if you're going to make a profit? One of the TV shows that I used to watch a lot is called um, Shark Tank. And, and it's about these small businesses, um, these small business owners that go before these business tycoons in order to get an investment from them. And so uh, it's all dramatic and these business people walk in all the way to the front and there's these five or six real big business tycoons sitting there and uh, they present their business before these investors, right? So they say, well, well, next year we're planning on doing five million in sales and then this is our business strategy and we're going to get here and there and this is going to be our profit margin and, and all of that. But, but imagine the guy or girl who comes into that setting before these investors and says, you know... I'm really not sure how well my business is going to do. You know, next year we might not even be around. I, I, don't, I don't know how we're going to do business. It's just not going to... I mean, would anybody invest in a business like that? I mean, of course not. The investors want to know the plan, how you're achieving the plan, when you're going to achieve that plan, and so on. They want exactly the illustration that James gives in verse 13. If you go before those sharks and you don't sound like James 4.13, they're not going to invest in you. But listen to what one author said. It is not their occupation, but their attitude that has become secular. James isn't saying that being a merchant or a trader in these days is a bad thing. Or for you to own a business is bad. It's not that their occupation had become secularized. What is worldly is their attitude about their occupation. The attitude of these Christians had become secular. With all of these presumptions that they were making and how they were planning everything out, they were taking God's will not into account. They were practically living out the song My Way. They they were living and speaking as if the Lord's will had absolutely nothing to do with their actions. And so it's this secular or worldly attitude that declares this sovereignty over self. The problem with these people that James is getting at is their presumptions indicate that they aren't even thinking about God's sovereignty over their lives and His providence within their lives. And if we're honest, we would all have to raise our hands and say that there are times, many times within our lives, that we live like practical atheists. You're 17 or 18. You decide that you're going to go to college or what you're going to do for a trade. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Do you stop and pray? Do you consult God's people? Do you ask God to make it clear what school to go to or what trade to pick up? Do you ask as He teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that His will would be done in your life, that what you choose to do with your life is going to be something that honors God and something that is going to bring glory and serve other people instead of yourself? And you get a bit older and you start looking around for a spouse. Do you pray for God's will to be shown to you in regard to who you're going to marry? Or do you emphasize your own will in, who, in regard to who you're going to marry? Are you committed to follow God's will with what he says a kind of person a Christian should be marrying? Are you committed to follow God's will and to be equally yoked with somebody else who is a Christian, who loves Jesus, who loves the gospel, who loves his church, and walking in that together? You get a little older and you've got your spouse, you're in your career, and as you're in your career, you're making choices for what? For the sole advancement of your career or with God's kingdom in mind? Are you making choices that keep love for your co-workers in mind? Or are they simply the rungs by which you step to get to the top of the ladder? 
Are you making choices where you can best influence your spouse and your children to walk with God? Do you make choices that demonstrate your commitment to follow Jesus or your commitment to serve yourself? Because that's very readily seen in all of our lives. And we may not be willing to jump into one another's lives sometimes. We don't love each other enough to jump in and just say, man, you're missing it. But what kind of choices are you making? Are you keeping God's will? Mainly by finding it here in God's book. And then the last 20 or so years of your life, should God give it, it's on you. And everything that you've worked for in your life, your career, your family, your stuff, does it indicate a pursuit for God's will and glory? Or does it indicate a pursuit of yourself? And then you're dead. And we're all standing around your casket. And people are having conversations about you. And they stand up and talk about your life. And how will they talk about you? Will your life display at the end, when you're dead, is it going to display the hard work of a practical atheist who had professed belief in God their entire lives? But you made the calls. You did the work. You took the blows. You made all the shots. And you did it your way. Friend, at your funeral... Is your life going to be explainable in human terms? Or will the way you lived your life be explained by people saying, that was all God. The Lord clearly directed and blessed and advanced them. That it wasn't them. It was the Lord working for them. And the result of that person's life are simply unexplainable in human terms. I love the kind of person who goes home to be with the Lord and you gather around with others and that's the kind of stuff that's being said. All glory to God. Look what he did with a wretch. Friend, has your attitude about your occupation, your responsibilities at home, church, or anywhere else become secularized, become worldly? Do you make presumptions about your life with a lost focus on the will of God for it. Moving on though, notice with me the problem that all of us have, but specifically the problem for somebody who would live as a practical atheist found in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The problem for the practical atheist is at least twofold. We are limited, and life is brief. We're limited, and we're finite. We're not sovereign. We don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. I tell you what, I take Mondays off, and tomorrow just so happens to be the first day of partridge hunting season. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to go hunt birds. But the reality is, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. How many times have we gone to bed and woke up the next morning and life was different than we could have ever imagined? How many of you went to bed on September 10th, 2001, thinking the next morning you were going to wake up into an entirely different world? You have absolutely no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And so why do we act like we do? 
Why do we make these kinds of presumptions as though we're sovereign and powerful enough to make all of this happen? I mean, sometimes I like to step back and just think, from God's perspective, as the sovereign one, looking down at all of us, however many are in this room right now, and look at us and just say, stop it. Like the presumptions you're making. A year from now, your life is going to be so much different. Two months from now, your life is going to be so much different. And so often, we have our universe centered around ourselves. And we're making these assumptions, knowing that the problems remain, that we are not sovereign, and that life is short, yet we do it anyway. The second problem for us, when we act like practical atheists, not only do we not know what tomorrow is going to bring... But the brevity of human life is another big problem for us. What a question he asks. What is life? You ask a bunch of philosophers that question, you're going to get a bunch of different answers. What is your life? The Bible answers this question elsewhere in Psalm 102. It says, For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. Or Job 7.7, Remember that my life is a breath. James may have written some of the most popular, well-known verses within the entire Bible when he says, you are a mist. You are a vapor. What imagery. I don't know about you, but coffee is an absolute necessity in my life. And in order to gauge my coffee, and if it's ready to drink or not, or how hot it is, you, you look at the steam, right? That's indicating to you how hot it is. I love a fresh cup of coffee. That steam is billowing off of it. It's good and hot. The steam indicates that my coffee is not going to be cold too soon. That there's all of this steam rising out of it. And when you consider your life, sometimes it's easy to look at your life when you're young and you feel like a fresh cup of coffee. That steam is just billowing, right? It's not going to get cold that soon. And, And that steam is just pouring out of it. And that can make you think, I've got plenty of time left. I've got lots of steam left. But in reality, do you? You all know how it is. You you remember what it's like to be 20, if you've been 20 at this point, and you thought, man, 30 is a decade away. No big deal. You blink and you're 50. We, We say this all the time, that time flies. And it does fly. It's fleeting. It's constantly passing. It matters how we spend our time. This is why the Bible is always calling or calls to us to redeem the time, right? To make use of the time. But the practical atheist isn't really considering the time. He's concerned with what he can do and when he can do it. But this is the huge dose of reality that James dumps onto the practical atheist. You are a limited person. And time is a vapor. It goes. So considering what James has already said, that this practical atheist makes all of these presumptions, they say what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it, and so forth. They make these presumptions not even knowing what the next day is going to hold. And they do it without taking into account the absolute brevity of their own lives. But notice what all of this is born out of in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says that all of this is sourced in evil. It's sourced in pride. 
the practical atheist, the person who claims that there's God but lives as if there is no God, this person is arrogant. John Piper said, It is arrogant not to believe with your heart and confess with your lips that ultimately God governs how long you live and what you accomplish. All of this is up to God. Friend, how long you live is not up to you. It is up to God. And it is evil, it is arrogance to presume that you know better than the God of the universe. You do not know better than God in regard to what school you go to. You do not know better than God in regard to whom you should marry. You do not know better than God for what you should do for work. Yet the pulse of the practical atheist is the sort of pride that God cannot stand. So the point is clear. Don't be a practical atheist. But then there's the other side. What would it look like to be the kind of Christian that James is calling us to be? What does a genuine Christian look like? Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So James turns, turns it, and he says, this is how you should then think about life. If the Lord wills, we will live and do whatever it is that we do. All of it is up to the will of God. What James is doing here is he is realizing the sovereignty of God over life. He wants us to look up to our God and to recognize that He alone is the one who has the power to take our life or to extend our life. Not imposing our own will, but resting in God's will for us. And the, so the presumption of the genuine Christian is that how long we live and whatever we do is ultimately in the hands of a sovereign God. And friend, once you grasp God's sovereignty a little bit, we can never fully grasp it, but once you hang your hat on that peg and say, yes, He is the one that is fully sovereign, what a relief. What relief in life comes to say, I don't need to worry about my life. God is going to extend it or He's going to take me home. I don't need to worry about my children. God is sovereign and He's going to take care of them. And on and on. When you grab on to the sovereignty of God, which I would implore you to do, and to recognize Him as the sovereign over the universe, calling all of the shots, it will free you from fear. It will free you from anxiety. And and executing my own wisdom will be something that begins to fall away because instead I look to the wisdom of God. Now don't get me wrong in saying that James isn't arguing for you to just sit back and fold your arms and say that God's got it. Like He's not saying, yeah, go, ho- go ahead and eat Twinkies and Ho-Hos for every meal because God's just got it. You know, you're going to live as long as you want. It's not that at all. Of course, be healthy. Of course, be a good steward of what God has given to you. Protect your family, care for them, all of those things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we all have to recognize that God is the one who is controlling all this and keeping us. You should plan for your business if you have a business. You should work hard at your business that you're working for. You should train up your kids. You should be active in the life of the church. James doesn't want you because God is sovereign for you just to chill out and do nothing. But as the Lord wills, we will be able to do those things. 
This is the hard attitude of the person who is seeking to live as a godly Christian. Now, I think that this is going to be hard for some of you because some of you are planners and you plan your life out like crazy, right? Like you have these to-do lists. I'm married to one of these people. I'm not one of these people. But you should see the calendar in my house. There's no space for the numbers of the days. It's all filled with stuff. Or the to-do list that's on the counter. You should see it. Bathroom and an arrow pointing up. That means upstairs. It needs to be clean. Bathroom, arrow pointing downstairs. Needs to be... And on and on. And, and that's what she's going to get done for the day. But James isn't saying, don't plan it out. Right? James is not anti-calendar. He is not anti-planner. He is not anti, I got a business and I want to do this next year. He's not, what he's saying is your heart attitude that accompanies it needs to be if God wills. And so I think what James is saying here, what we can pull from this text, is that there needs to be on your calendar, on your to-do list, big and bold words that say, if God wills it. And the kind of attitude that accompanies that is I'll get done whatever today that God wants for me to get done. Oh, I'm going to strive. I'm going to work hard. Like Paul says, it's going to be the grace of God in me that is ultimately working. But I'm going I'm to work hard. I'm going to do what I can do. But ultimately, what I get done is up to the Lord. And you know this. I, I've had days, many days, and you've had many days when we have all of these things that we need to get done. I've got a sermon to write. I've got emails to catch up on. I've got services to plan, whatever it is. And then the phone call comes in. Or somebody comes in for, uh, by the office and instead of getting irritable, what do, what do I need to remind myself of? What do you need to remind yourself of? This is God's will for me right now. That my to-do list, however important it might be to me, it's not as important as this person that God has brought into my life right now. Like God is actively overriding my to-do list at the moment and that's okay. And then you get to the end of the day and something like that has happened to you and a chunk of your day is absorbed. Was that day a failure? When you look back over your day that you had planned to get tons done and instead you had a child that was sick and slowed you down all day? Well, that's what God had for you that day. Or somebody popped over, called you to encourage you and you didn't get your list done. How do you feel? For the Christian who is not living in practical atheism but in the will of God, You should feel great about it because you got done exactly what God wanted you to get done that day. Our prayer each morning should be, Lord, I have this list of things that I need to do today. Help me to get it done. These are all things that are part of the life that you've made for me, all things I want to do for your glory, but bring opportunity to minister to others throughout the day. Bring the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Bring the opportunity to encourage another Christian. Bring the opportunity to minister and somehow, in some way, disrupt my day for your glory. Is this not the kind of thing that you see with the Lord? I think it's specifically Jesus when he's walking around, he's with his disciples, and then all of these children want to come up to him. And the disciples are like, no, get the kids away from him, but get away. And Jesus is like, no, suffer not. Let, not, let the children come unto me. Like Jesus had somewhere to go. He was submitting to his Father's will. He was living life every day according to it. But he wanted that disruption. He wanted those children. And what a, what a perspective that gives for us. 
Like, are we going to be like the disciples and say, no, no, shoo that away. Shoo that, shoo that thing that wasn't on my list to do today away. Or are we going to welcome it as God's will for us in that time? Jesus made time for the woman who had the issue of blood and touched his garment. He had time to raise Jairus' daughter. The short vapor that was the life of our Lord on this earth, he used it by submitting to the Father and serving others. Did he not say over and over things like, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but of the will of him who sent me. And so the presumption for the Christian that would seek to live a life of faith that James is calling is to recognize that God is sovereign over everything in his or her life. God's controlling it all. That is the understanding of the Christian. And so we have the understanding and we live our lives in constant gratitude to our God for what he is doing. Yet this morning, James closes in verse 17 with a warning to us all. So whoever knows the right thing to do it and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. I think one commentator got it right when he said this. A a practical atheism that leaves God out of one's day-to-day planning is for that person nothing less than sin. Even the sins described here by James, that there are some things that you know you should do. You know you should trust God's plan for you. You know you should trust in His providential dealings for you. That He knows what is coming tomorrow, although you do not know. And it is sin for us to leave God out of the planning of our lives. It is practical atheism. What kind of monster would you think of me if I planned my life without any consideration to my wife and daughters? Like if you found out that I don't, I don't think about my wife and what her desires would be when we schedule a vacation or when we schedule a night out or we schedule our normal weeks. Can you imagine if you found out what I generally did was just shush her and I just made all of the plans and I did it all myself? Like that would be monstrous. You would think I was an ugly husband. Yet how often is this the exact way that we schedule our lives without even a thought to the will of our God for whoever knows the right thing to do and does it not to him, it is sin. Brothers and sisters, are you living your life in practical atheism? Right now, we are at the beginning of a new week. How are you going to live it? We've seen this morning that to live without a thought to the will of God, this practical atheism, is sinful for us. It's not what God would have for us. We're going to be singing and closing with the song in just a couple minutes. All glory be to Christ. And one of the stanzas within it says this. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn. All glory be to Christ. Is that the goal of your life? Friends, don't boast about what you're going to do tomorrow or what you're going to do next year. Your life is a mist. It's going. It's flying away so Quickly, and you don't have sovereignty over it. Instead, by living according to the will of God, don't make the anthem of your life those famous words, I did it my way. Instead, may the anthem of all of our lives be, all glory be to Christ. We did it His way. Let's pray.